so you guys are both aware of the Tour de France, I'm sure. There is also mm-hmm. a Tour of Italy called the Giro d'Italia and the Tour of Spain called the Vuelta a España. The Vuelta is happening right now. They're about halfway through it. An American is leading it for the first time in 10 years, and the only other rivals that he has after today's stage are his own teammates who are a minute behind him and two minutes behind him. So the chances he wins the race, the first American to do so in a decade, is like astronomically high, and I am just over the moon and thrilled. (laughs) That is quite exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the craziest part about this rider, his name is Sepp Kuss. He's from Durango, Colorado. He has ridden in support of the guys who are in second and third place on all of their grand tours. Every time he has ridden in support of them, those teammates have won. So this time he gets the opportunity to be first place, which is crazy. (laughs) That is. I feel like his two teammates should just like slow down a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) And and let him have this moment. Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water, one podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, editorial director for the Endeavor Business Media Water Group and editor-in-chief of Wastewater Digest. I am Katie Jones, editor-in-chief of Stormwater Solutions and Water Quality Products. I'm Mandy Crispin, editor-in-chief of Waterworld. And in this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we will share the latest news from Xylem about its acquisition and C-suite leadership changes, final amendments to the waters of the United States, and EPA's new priorities for 2024 and 2027, including PFAS initiatives. Finally, our interview this month is with Nathaniel Banks and Yidian Liu. They are co-founders of Polygon. Nathaniel Banks is also the chief technology officer. They are two Princeton researchers who are developing technology to monitor and remove microplastics from waterways. But first, some news. So we'll start first with Xylem, which has announced a succession plan for its CEO and CFO. Current CEO Patrick Decker will retire at the end of the year and will be succeeded by Matthew Pine, Xylem's current chief operating officer, effective January 1st, 2024. Now, in addition, William Grogan, formerly chief financial officer for IDEX Corporation, has been appointed senior vice president and chief financial officer, effective October 1st, 2023, for Xylem. Sarah Rowland, current CFO for Xylem, is, quote, leaving to pursue new and different opportunities. This plan comes just seven months and some change after Xylem announced its $7.5 billion acquisition of Evoqua, and just three months after it announced the completion of the acquisition at the end of May. If you'd like to learn more about the reason for this, you can check out episode 61 of this podcast for an interview with Xylem and Evoqua leaders on the transaction. Finally, in a press release about this succession plan, incoming CEO Matthew Pine said the following, quote, Xylem is an outstanding company with an exceptionally talented and purpose-driven team. I am humbled and excited to have the opportunity to build on the strong foundation, momentum, and long-term trajectory created under Patrick's leadership. As we integrate two great companies, Xylem and Avoqua, the whole team is committed to helping our customers address intensifying global water challenges by applying the power of technology and innovation, driving the digital transformation of water, and delivering solutions at scale. End quote. We have reached out to Xylem for additional comment on this, as well as for an interview with the new CEO, and we hope to bring you more coverage on this in the coming months. Now on to the news about WOTUS from Katie. 
Thanks, Bob. So the U.S. EPA and U.S. Department of the Army have announced a final rule amending the 2023 definition of waters of the United States to conform with the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Sackett versus the EPA. The Supreme Court decision in that case uh, limited the EPA's ability to regulate wetlands. So while waters of the U.S. was not directly before the court in that case, its decision on the regulatory status of wetlands had likely invalidated EPA's 2023 definition. According to the Supreme Court, wetlands can only be considered part of WOTUS when they have, quote, a continuous surface connection to bodies that are waters of the United States in their own right, so that there's no clear demarcation between waters and wetlands, end quote. The final rule circumvented public notice and comment procedures, and the EPA said, quote, the amendments changed only parts of the 2023 rule that were invalidated by the Sackett v. EPA decision, such as by removing the significant nexus test from the rule and amending its definition of adjacent. The significant nexus standard that the 2023 rule had used was a test to identify waters that could be regulated as part of WOTUS under the Clean Water Act. So this has been a little bit of an ongoing saga for a while, and we will uh, keep monitoring it and try to figure out, you know, exactly what it means for for the industry and, and projects going forward. Yeah, one thing I'll add to that, too, is the significant nexus test. At the time that the ruling came out with that language in it, we heard from a lot of industry professionals that significant nexus was going to be a term to define over the next 10 years. It was basically going to set mm-hmm. a whole new standard. So the fact that it's kind of reversed as, uh, now is really, really significant. Uh, sorry to use the pun, but it is significant <laughs> that it is being kind of pulled back and not being part of the the new the new rule. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, keep, uh, keep up on our website. We'll have the latest news as it all relates to that. Um, but for now, I'm going to pass it over to Mandy to share some news. Thanks, Katie. The U.S. EPA recently announced its enforcement priorities for 2024 through 2027. The press release notes that this latest set of priorities includes first-time initiatives to mitigate exposure to PFAS. For more information, there is a link within the press release on waterworld.com. In news from South Carolina, the funds from the $13.6 billion settlement resulting from public water systems versus 3M and DuPont has been tentatively allocated. The attorneys representing the water system say they have released tables online detailing the formula that will be used to determine how much financial recovery each system can expect. These are tentative numbers, but it is a start. The information will create a clearer picture as new federal standard as new federal standards to address the contamination come into focus. While the combined settlements between 3M and DuPont are the largest settlement of its type in history, this is, there is more to be done. So systems will need to have an understanding of where to look for help next and be able to estimate how much money they'll still need in order to meet EPA compliance standards once paid from the settlement. The breakdown is DuPont is expected to contribute $1.185 billion, and 3M will add up to $12.5 billion, which is approximately 22% of the company's total market capitalization. I think if they weren't sorry before, now they're sorry. It should be noted that the settlement was reached after a five-year legal battle. 
that involved 7.4 million pages of discovery documents and more than 160 depositions. This should not deter utilities from pursuing this avenue, though. We have a how-to as the cover story of the September-October issue of Waterworld that explains where to start and how to find the clues to determine the appropriate responsible party and when in court. Important deadlines and more information about this particular settlement being overseen in the United States District Court for the District of South Carolina is available at www.pfoswaterproviderSettlement.com. And with that, we will move on to our interview with Nathaniel Banks and Yidian Liu, co-founders of Polygon. I'm now here with Nathaniel Banks. He's co-founder and CTO of Polygon, Polygon, as well as Yidian Liu, co-founder of Polygon. And I, we wanted to talk to you about this technology that you guys have been developing for microplastics and trying to remove it from water. So for context, could you first describe how prolific microplastics are in waterways? We know it's a really big problem, but do you have numbers to kind of support what, how big that problem actually is? Well, it, it's that's an interesting question to begin with. I mean, this is something that actually a lot of researchers are trying to establish at the moment. Uh, the idea of monitoring for microplastics is actually a relatively recent thing. Um, but in terms of getting an accurate number, it's very difficult because of how small microplastics are and how numerous they are. So for every larger plastic item like a plastic bag, you could get billions of tiny fragments coming off of it. So in theory, trillions, quadrillions of microplastics could be in our waters. Um, and I think realistically, what the biggest problem of it is the pervasiveness of these microplastics. We've been finding them in samples, uh, water samples in Mariana's Trench. We're finding them in every single ocean. We're finding them in our drinking water, in our wastewater. It's just a very pervasive problem. But coming up with an accurate figure on their numbers is very difficult at this point. So actually, that's one of the things that we're trying to do with our technology is really trying to look into how we can start establishing systematic monitoring of microplastics so we can figure out exactly how much there is in our environment. Yeah, and setting a standard for how to identify what a microplastic is, what actually is a microplastic compared to like a bigger plastic bag, like you were saying there, you know, if you do you count a plastic bag as a million microplastics or what, right? So yeah. yeah, I believe the technical definition at the moment of microplastics is any sort of plastic fragment or item um, below five millimeters in size, but that in itself is even very variable. You can have mm -hmm. microplastics at that five millimeter threshold going down to the nanoscale. So you can be microscopic. It can be things that are easily ingested into your body and things that actually can even translate out of your digestive system and into other bodily tissues. Um, we're even finding microplastics in blood samples now in some people. So it really is getting, oh, wow. yeah. So it's getting to a point where you know, identifying these microplastics while they're larger could be key to preventing them getting smaller. Uh, and once they're small enough, they're almost impossible to track. Yeah. So what what sparked your interest in this topic in the first place? Was it just the nature of how, uh, how pervasive they are? Or w was there something more to the story here for you? Yeah, so um, it's actually quite interesting. So both Edian and myself actually don't originally come from a scientific background. We come from uh, a design background. So um, we designed various systems for uh, water treatment for sustainable uh, purposes. Um, but our research focus actually, whilst at university, as we were doing our, our master's degree at Princeton, 
um, was really about um, wastewater infrastructure. We were trying to see like what kind of uh, new systems need to be developed. Where are there gaps in things like recycling, managing waste? Um, and we realized that there's basically nothing really out there for microplastics. There's a lot of systems out there for removing larger plastic items. So trash trappers are becoming more and more common in our waterways to sort of get rid of these larger plastic bags, larger waste items that make their way into our rivers and lakes. Um, but there's not very much in terms of that is able to realistically deal with anything below five millimeters. And even the, the few systems that are available are constrained to really just purely water treatment um, or are only able to deal with the very large microplastics around the five millimeter scale. So we thought, you know, why don't we try and actually be proactive in developing stuff or at least monitoring and hopefully in the future removing these smaller microplastics that currently aren't being managed at all. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about your research being on the monitoring side and so uh, so forth right now. What what is kind of the nature of that research like and wh where do you hope to take it with your next steps as you evolve and grow Polygon? Yes. So, um, I mean, our, our big vision ultimately is to really just remove microplastics. I mean, we, we believe we need to take a proactive approach in trying to actually manage our water so that way we have as few microplastics in them as possible. Um, but the first step to doing that is to understand where are microplastics in our waters. They might not be uniformly distributed. There could be areas which are introducing microplastics into our waters that are a lot easier to manage than just spreading a network of, you know, uh, collection infrastructure uniformly across our rivers and lakes and oceans, um, which is going to be near impossible to achieve. I think uh, uh, that's basically where we're starting from is we've developed a, a basically a microplastic filter. This is the core of our technology. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, We call it the artificial root filter. It's essentially a very fibrous uh, silicone brush. It's a very simple technology in that regard, but the silicone itself is very hydrophobic and sticks to very small uh, suspended solids, which are hydrophobic as well, which are microplastics. So microplastics are very hydrophobic in water. So when they're near another hydrophobic um, uh, substance, they like to stick to one another. So essentially um, this can be used to, to both remove microplastics but also to monitor it so essentially by putting one of these in a polluted river stream or lake um, any microplastics in that will basically flow through our filter and then get stuck to it and by taking it out cleaning it and measuring how many microplastics and what kinds of microplastics are on there we can sort of start isolating areas which are more, more contaminated and we can also start identifying maybe even the sources of the contamination as well yeah. Yeah. So essentially you're killing two birds with one stone when you're doing this with this filter. You're getting the, you're A, removing the microplastics for one. And then B, because you're removing the microplastics, you can actually quantify the amount that's going through a particular river stream or estuary or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. That is the goal. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Another, another unique thing about the, the way we're trying to deal with it is so traditionally um, the way you would measure microplastics in, in a river or stream it's pretty simple. Essentially, you take a jug of water, place it in in the stream, get a sample, mm -hmm. and then run analysis on that sample until you find out what's in it. It's a very simple method, but the issue with that is it's very instantive. You only find out how much microplastic is in that exact location at that exact time. Um, so mm -hmm. it's so you can only really get like a very small cross section of what's going on. Um, because our system, our filter can be placed in the in the water for a fairly long period of time you can create an average of how much microplastic is flowing through that one area over a longer period. 
And that can really take account of things like changes in the water system. Like, for example, people could just randomly dump a whole load of plastic into the water on a specific day. Mm -hmm. And you might get, if you take a reading normally, you might get a really high count that day and then a really low count the next. Um, our system could hopefully average that out so we can get a more reliable data set on how much microplastic is in our water. Yeah. And the inverse of that would be a heavy storm came through and has diluted the sample size now, too. You have the opp the opposite effect, right? Well, I, actually, the strange thing um, with storms, we find that you get an increase in microplastic count. Um, this is largely really. Of, yeah. Yeah. It's quite interesting. It's because of uh, a lot of microplastics. Uh, the way they are introduced is sometimes it's intentionally. Sometimes groups are just dumping plastics. Sometimes it's un most times it's unintentional, um, whether it be things like fibers in your clothing that gets washed away in, uh, in your washing machine through uh, water treatment and still get through. Um, but a lot of it is also from stormwater runoff. So there's rubbish on the streets, trash on the streets uh, that gets washed out into rivers uh, through storm drains. And there's very little management of that waste. So when you get a storm flow, that's where we actually find very high quantities of microplastic. Yeah. Now, I know you're working with uh, the Atlantic County Utilities Authority on this and working with some municipalities. I was curious what your thoughts are on how you hope this could be used at more utilities and more facilities around uh, the country or the world, for that matter. Um, could you talk to that, the kind of the vision for putting this in front of utilities and getting them more involved in this process? Yeah. Yeah, for uh, the ACUA projects, actually, the water out of their facility will directly be pumped into the ocean. And then once that's in the ocean, it's like almost impossible for us to capture them again. So the idea is that to, to stop it as early as possible while they're still in the facility. And then currently, microplastic, although everyone knows it's a pollutant, but in the U.S., at least, it's not fully regulated yet. Mm -hmm. So a lot of facilities are like, okay, um, if it's not forced, we're not trying to like remove it. But if this project is successful, it can prove that it can eff uh, effectively remove microplastic at a low cost. I think it will give a lot of other facilities the confidence to also try removing this contaminants. Mm -hmm. And then we are actually expecting the regulation to hit in like what PFAS did in the last year right and then we don't want when the regulation kicks in and there's no technology that's available for all of those utilities to use so we want to have a very successful demo mm -hmm. um, to prove the concept yeah well and to your point on kind of the corollaries between microplastics and PFAS you talked earlier Nathaniel about you know you're finding some of this in people's blood that was one of the big things that was a catalyst for the PFAS uh, side of things too and it had been growing for years and after more visibility into the problem it really uh, you're seeing it now how the regulatory environment is evolving and I suspect that we'll see a very similar thing with microplastics in the not too distant future. Hmm. Well, that, that's what we believe as well. I, I think with this ACUA pilot, um, we're really, really happy to be working with them because they were very, uh, very friendly and actually quite proactive in trying to support us in developing this pilot. Um, just to clarify a little bit more of what it is, essentially, we're applying an array of our filters at the very end of water treatment. So we're not really interfering with any existing treatment processes. This is like an additional layer to catch anything that their current processes don't catch. Um, and we're very excited to see what data we get from that, because not only do we think that would validate our own technology at an industrial scale, if we start getting clear data um, 
for the removal within a facility. Um, but it also like uh, is a really good test to see like how our technology can actually integrate with existing water treatment procedures, how we can design it to be easy to use and as inexpensive as possible. I think that's one of the keys we're trying to establish. So that way it could be deployed um, in a variety of different locations. Yeah. So essentially, you're positioning this just before the outfall of a facility, right? Whether that's a wastewater treatment plant or a drinking water plant, it's wherever the the water is leaving the facility to go to whatever, it, whether it's a drinking water tank or a, a river or a stream or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. So we're really trying to make it a last line of defense um, because mm -hmm. usually once it goes out, the water just gets... Usually we do it right before it goes through something like an enrichment basin where it, it, it would be... Uh, Renutrified and then let out into the into the broader environment. So yeah, once again, just a last last step defense. Yeah. So what do you see right now as being kind of or presenting the biggest challenge to um, what you're working on and the biggest challenge in addressing microplastics at all? Hmm. I mean, I would say actually regulation. Okay. Because that's the like the biggest motivation for a lot of people to take the first step. Yeah, that totally is. A lot of people don't move on anything until they're forced to by law. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, especially you know, it, it's understandable as well. Like if you're a water treatment company, if you have more processes, quite often you end up charging a little bit more for your service, and no one wants to have their water bill slightly increased. So, it's in their interest to keep things the way they are. But unfortunately, with new you know, emerging contaminants being sort of discovered, we have to put in safety procedures to really sort of treat those and remove those. So um, they're not willing to really move until regulation for the most part, which is why we're very happy with ACUA for being very proactive on this front. But I think it's very important that we do develop these technologies or otherwise we're going to be drinking contaminated water. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So what's next for you guys? What are you what are you working on now? Obviously, you had this pilot going with ACUA. Um, what, what's on what's next on the docket? We actually have an exciting project in Canada. So there is this one of the experimental lake where they do a lot of the scientific research at. And this group is like studying the microplastic effect on the natural system. And they dumped a bunch of microplastic into this lake. And then they're looking for people who can help them remediate it after the experiments are done. So next week, Nathaniel is actually flying to Canada to deploy our first monitoring device there to see how effective we can help them in the outflow area. So, nice. yeah, yeah, essentially that scientific group, they're trying to see if microplastics are introduced into the environment, what damage does it cause? Because we know that it's pervasive, but we don't know how dangerous it is. Um, the current theory is that the microplastic itself is relatively inert. It actually doesn't cause that many problems, but what does are the additives that are thrown into it. So. Uh, plastics contain things like plasticizers, uh, you know, uh, heat resistant chemicals that are quite often toxic as well, uh, coloring agents, all these different factors that have been added into the plastic, and those can leach out of it, especially at a small size. Um, so that's the current theory is that the plastic itself isn't what's harmful, but the additives within it are, and the plastic acts as a vector for that. Um, so they want to see you know, if microplastics are in the environment, what kind of effect does it have on the wildlife? One, where does it end up? Where does it get absorbed? And then what does it do to the wildlife? Um, but the issue is, at the end of this experiment, their lake's going to be full of microplastics. So they really want a, a technology that can, one, monitor where this microplastic is, how concentrated is it, and hopefully remediate the lake afterwards. So that's where we come in. 
Very, very cool. Well, I'd be very interested to hear about the the outcome of that one that's all said and done. So let's definitely stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's exciting, but scary because this is going to be once again, another one of our initial tests of our technology. And there's a lot banking on us succeeding in remediating this lake. So we're really excited, but also very scared about it. So we'll, we'll let you know if any uh good or bad news comes out of it (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i suspect it'll be good well thank you both for talking with me today and uh for talking with us a little bit more about this microplastics issue i definitely learned more about this than than i had before i understood some of the concerns and whatnot but the the depth that you were able to talk about it here was actually really enlightening i think it'll be great for our listeners to hear as well well yeah thank you for your time as well this has been a great conversation thank you for your time Thanks so much, Nathaniel and Gideon, for chatting with me about microplastics. As I said on the interview, I really did learn quite a bit from both of you on just the prevalence of microplastics and how much and how little we know. It's uh, really fascinating, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about the pilots that you have in place and all the data that you're going to come back with. On to housekeeping. First, we have a webinar about PFAS across the water sector coming to you on September 21st at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Experts from CDM Smith... SCS engineers and Corolo engineers will discuss the impact of PFAS on drinking water, wastewater, and stormwater, and how to take a holistic approach to managing this family of contaminants. You can find the webinar at www.dmag.com webinars or any of our webinar pages on our websites. You can also register directly on that page. For WWD, we also have our own webinar on collection systems that is now on demand. You can find it on that same webinar page that I referenced before. Derek Schwenke from Garver provided an overview on technologies and considerations for sewer inspection, cleaning, and rehabilitation so you can create a strong asset management plan for your sewer systems. On to Waterworld. Going back to our news, the cover story of Waterworld's September-October issue is a how-to about water systems and PFAS litigation. So subscribe now by clicking subscribe in the top nav on waterworld.com. It's free, and the digital issue is also available online via waterworld.com. Just go to magazines in the top nav bar. And for water quality products, WQP and Crystal IS are hosting a panel on September 27th titled The Impact of PFAS in the Water Industry. Panelists will share their take on what the biggest issue is in addressing PFAS at the point of entry for residential spaces before having an open discussion and live Q&A with the audience. Visit wqpmag.com webinars to register for free. And for Stormwater Solutions, we are hosting our next webinar on October 11th, and it is titled Exploring Stormwater BMP Co-Benefits to Reduce Stressors of Stream Health. You can register for free at stormwater.com slash webcast. And with that, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also reach us at talkingunderwater at endeavorb2b.com to share your thoughts. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.